Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. Welcome everyone once again to the Vineyard. It is so good to be with you this morning. My name is Christian Root. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, I'm excited to jump in this morning. This morning we are continuing, church, our Advent series that we have entitled The King Has Come. This Advent season, as we seek to prepare our hearts for Christmas, we will be walking together through chapters 1 and 2 of Matthew's Gospel. And So let's pray together now, church, and then we're going to turn to God's Word. So would you pray with me? Father, this time of year, during the season of Advent, the season of waiting, we're reminded that you are a God who keeps his promises. That in the same way that you promised through the prophets that a Messiah would come. That a Messiah would come and save his people from their sins. We know you will stay true to your promise that this same Messiah, this same King will return and will restore all that is broken in this world. Where else do we place our hope in this season, in this darkest time of the year in the Northern Hemisphere, when many of us are feeling acutely the loss of family members or the loss of dreams? Where else do we put our hope, Jesus, but in you? Thank you that you are a God who keeps his promises. Thank you that you are a God who is with us. We invite you now, Holy Spirit. We we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you've already been moving during worship. And and I ask that you would continue to move, that your manifest presence would be here as, as we turn now to your word. Please fill me afresh, Holy Spirit. And please help us to receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. So we're picking up right where we left off last week. And this is what we read, beginning again in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, nowhere else in Scripture are we given a better sketch of Jesus' adopted father, Joseph, than here in Matthew chapter 1. And so this morning, I'd like us to focus in on Joseph under three separate headings. The character of Joseph, the obedience of Joseph, and then finally, the faith of Joseph. So let's look together at these headings in turn, church. 
To begin, today's text highlights the character of Joseph, the character of Joseph. Let's read verses 18 and 19. This is how the birth of, jo of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. In Jesus' day, a, a pledge to be married was legally binding. In order to break up an engagement, one would have to obtain a document of divorce. And even though a couple was not legally married during their engagement, to to sleep with someone else at this stage in the relationship was considered adultery. Now, under both Jewish and Roman law at this time, divorce in the case of adultery by the woman was inevitable. It was inevitable. Jewish and Roman law forbid a man from remaining engaged or married to a woman who had been unfaithful. For remaining in the relationship at this time was, was viewed as condoning disobedience to God. A failure to divorce one's fiancé or wife who had been unfaithful essentially at this time made you a, a co-conspirator in the act. Now, now I, I need to be careful here, and this, this is not in my notes, but I, I need to be clear that, that I'm not suggesting that if there has been infidelity in your marriage that, that, that by law today you, you must divorce. I have known couples that, that have walked through excruciating times of, of pain and regret and sin, and yet, by God's grace, have remained together and have honored the commitment they, they made to one another. So I, I just want to make that clear, but, but, but Jewish and Roman law at the time of, of Joseph was, was a different matter. And this is why in verse 19, we're, we're told that Joseph, because he was faithful to the law, he had in mind to divorce Mary. But church, Joseph, he, he still had a choice. He still had a choice. He, he could choose to divorce Mary publicly. He, he could parade her before a court, display her pregnant belly, expose her to public shame and embarrassment, as was the, the common practice of the day. Or, or, of course, Joseph could divorce Mary quietly. He could avoid a public trial, could avoid the spectacle and the accompanying shame, and, and yet still be faithful to the wall. And as we know from today's text, Joseph chose to pursue the merciful path. He decided that despite the fact that, that he had been betrayed by the one who had, who had pledged to be faithful to him for, for her entire life, despite this fact, he would not enact revenge. Listen, why do you think that Joseph was chosen to be the adopted father of Jesus? Why, why was Joseph chosen to be the man who would raise Jesus from infancy? It, it was not because Joseph was well-connected or wealthy. And it, it was not because Joe was brilliant or exceptionally gifted. We're, we're told that Joseph was a simple carpenter, a tradesman. And so why was Joseph selected? I, I believe Joseph was selected to be the adopted father of Jesus because he possessed Two traits that are perfectly exhibited in Jesus' real father and in Jesus himself. The qualities of righteousness and mercy. Amen. Joseph was faithful to the law, we are told. He held to very high standards. He was righteous. But Joseph 
also, again, had in mind to divorce Mary quietly. He was merciful as well. And, and as one who held in tandem these two qualities of both righteousness and mercy, Joseph pointed ahead to his adopted son, Jesus, the, the only man who's ever lived who is both perfectly righteous and perfectly merciful. Do you know what I love about Jesus, church? Jesus is righteous. He is holy. He is pure. And that means that Jesus is utterly trustworthy. You never have to fear, friend, that Jesus will break his promises to you. He's not like a politician who might retract his oath or a businessman who might wiggle out of his commitment or a, a civil servant who might fail to honor his pledge. No, he is utterly trustworthy, church, for he is righteous, he is honest, he is principled. Who here could say that Jesus ha has ever broken a promise to him, ever broken a commitment to them? Who here could say that Jesus ever reneged on his promise, that he ever failed to uphold his word, that he ever refused to fulfill his vows? No, just as he promised in Scripture, church, Jesus has been a comfort to us in our loneliness, and he has been a voice of wisdom to us in our confusion. He has been a word of correction to us in our foolishness. He has been a source of peace to us in our pain, and he has been a reminder of truth to us in our air. Jesus has never been anything but trustworthy in his dealings with us, friends, for he is altogether righteous. But if Jesus was righteous alone, we might find him impressive but unapproachable. We, we might find ourselves offering Jesus praise but fearing his presence. For though Jesus is righteous, we know that we ourselves are not. And so thankfully, church, thankfully, the overwhelming testimony of Scripture tells us not only that Jesus is righteous and holy and perfect, but that he is merciful as well. That like Joseph in our story, he, he doesn't enact revenge at every turn. If you've read through the Old Testament before, and I hope you do, I, I hope you read both, both the New and the Old Testament regularly, if you've read through the Old Testament scriptures, you might be familiar with, with the cities of refuge found within Israel after the Israelites settled in the land. Numbers chapter 35 and Judges chapter 20 describe six different cities of refuge that were positioned all around Israel. Six cities of refuge that were appointed by God for the person who was guilty of manslaughter, of, of accidentally killing someone else. In ancient Israel, if you accidentally killed another man on the job site, for example, you could run to one of these cities of refuge and be protected from any retribution from the victim's family until the trial. And if at that trial it was determined that the death was accidental, the person guilty of manslaughter would be allowed to stay in the city of refuge, safe from the victim's family, until the death of the high priest. And after the high priest's death, the guilty could return to their own land. But you see, there was a limit to the mercy that, that would be shown to someone who sought protection in the city of refuge. 
For as I already shared, one would only be protected from the victim's family if they were guilty of manslaughter. If, in other words, the death was accidental. If it was determined by the Levites that the death was intentional, was murder, then the city of refuge would offer no protection from punishment. The murderer would be sentenced to death. And I believe, church, I, I bring up all of this background for a reason. I, I believe that, that many of us relate to Jesus like these old cities of refuge from the Old Testament. Yes, we believe he offers protection. Yes, we believe we can flee to Jesus for safety. But surely we believe there is a limit to his mercy. Surely there's a ceiling on his forgiveness. We believe that just like these cities of refuge, there, there comes a point when Jesus says to us, you've crossed the line, you've gone too far. You've sinned for far too long or your sins are far too egregious. That there is no longer refuge for you in my presence, we imagine Jesus saying to us. That there is no more patience left within me for you. For I have my limits. But praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord that there is a Savior who is a better source of refuge than these cities of old. There is a king who offers us protection, who offers us pardon, offers us asylum without any conditions or qualifications, without any fine print describing who might be disqualified. For Jesus is a better city of refuge. He is the true city of refuge. And he says that anyone who would come to him seeking pardon, that anyone who desires to be washed clean by his blood can come to him and find rest regardless of what they've done and regardless of where they've been. For while our Savior is righteous, church, to, to be sure, while Jesus is holy and pure and incapable of even contemplating a sinful action, our king is also merciful, ready to forgive us, willing to make us clean, prepared to receive us the moment that we run to him. Have you, friend, met this Jesus who is unlike any other Unlike anyone you've ever known, who is more holy, more righteous, more just than we could ever conceive, and yet who is also more merciful, more gracious, more forgiving than we could ever imagine. This is who we worship. This is our king. Secondly, church, today's text underlines the obedience of Joseph, the obedience of Joseph. Let's read verses 24 and 25 again. When Joseph woke up, he, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Most of us are so familiar with Joseph's story, we, we forget how challenging this path would have been for him. To maintain his engagement with, with Mary, despite the fact that she was pregnant, was to subject himself and his family to public embarrassment and shame. Everyone would assume that Joseph was the father and that their baby was illegitimate. And as 21st century Westerners, we, we simply cannot imagine the outrage and anger Mary's pregnancy would have provoked. 
Joseph could have washed himself clean of the situation, couldn't he have? He could have quietly divorced Mary as planned. He could have allowed her to be the sole subject of this small town scandal. But instead, he obeyed the word of the Lord. He took Mary as his wife and subjected himself to the looks of disgust of his neighbors and former friends. And not only that, but we find that that Joseph waited to consummate his marriage with Mary uh, even after they were officially married until after Jesus' birth. I I mean, can you believe the irony here? Let's think about this moment. Can you believe the irony? Joseph would have faced the animosity and disappointment of his entire village for apparently sleeping with his fiancée before marriage, when in reality, he and his wife weren't even sleeping together after they were married. Now, Now, what does Joseph's obedience have to teach us this morning. Well, let me offer you a few lessons that we learned from Joseph's obedience. To begin, church, we learned that we are called to obey the directives of the Lord, even if his commands are unique or specific to us. No one else, church, in Joseph's hometown was asked to marry a pregnant woman. And no one else was asked to wait to consummate their marriage until after they had been married for some time. No, these commands, they were specific. They were unique to Joseph. And yet he was asked to obey anyway. Friends, the way to grow stagnant in your walk with Jesus is to continually pay attention to what everyone else is doing. How do other people spend their money? How how do others spend their time on the weekends? How, How often do other people serve? The much more important question to ask yourself, friends, is what is the Lord asking of you? How might he be asking you to sacrifice? How might he be asking you to give money away? How might he be asking you to surrender something in your life, even if it's not a behavior or a habit that is inherently sinful? Joseph, church, didn't obey because his actions were expected of him by his neighbors or friends at the synagogue. Joseph obeyed because he received a clear word from the Lord. It is easy, friends. It is so easy to try and wiggle out of obedience to the Lord's commands by arguing something like this. But no one else I know is being asked to take in foster care kids. Or no one else at work is talking to the one woman who everyone just despises. Or or no one else I know is cutting their family's budget so that they can give away more to the poor. No one else at school, none of the other students talk with a clean mouth. No one else at the office leaves before seven. But again, friends, I, I say to you in love, what is most relevant is not what other people are doing. What is of most importance, what is of most significance is what the Lord is asking of you. Listen, if you walk with Jesus for any length of time, you will find, friend, inevitably, that there will be times when he asks you to obey something very specific. You will be given an impression, a sense over time, that there's something that you need to do or a behavior that you need to surrender. Not because there's a chapter and a verse attached to the command. 
And not because there's a church-wide initiative that's connected to the directive, but simply because Jesus knows your heart, and he knows how he wants to shape you, and he knows where he wants to take you. And one of the chief ways, friends, you will grow as a Christian is by submitting to Jesus' instruction, by heeding his command. Even when it's hard, even when it feels nonsensical, and even if the directive is for you and you alone. Secondly, church, Joseph's obedience reminds us that, that often our obedience will be hidden from the rest of the world, will be hidden from the rest of the world. In verse 25, we're, we're told that Joseph, again, did not consummate the marriage, did not sleep with Mary until after Jesus was born. Now, we're not told explicitly in this passage that, that this was a directive given to Joseph by the angel, but we can only assume that Matthew felt led to include it because Joseph was issued the command. And by abstaining from marital relations until after the birth of Jesus, Mary fulfilled the prophecy that a virgin would give birth to the Messiah. Joseph, church, obeyed the word of the Lord, even though no one else, no one else would have known. He obeyed even though no one else was privy to what was happening in his own bedroom. Even though his compliance was hidden, unseen, unrecognized by all except by the Lord. The great 19th century British preacher Charles Spurgeon once asked a maid who was, had begun to attend his church, he asked a maid to give evidence that she had truly become a follower of Jesus. And the maid replied, I now sweep under the rugs. Some of us sweep stuff under the rugs. That's not what she's saying. She said, I, I now sweep under the rugs. And by that she meant that when cleaning someone's house, she no longer dusted only where it could be seen. But she now took the time to clean under the rugs, knowing that her actions, even if unnoticed by others, were seen by the Lord. And, and friends, as followers of Jesus... Rarely do we bring more honor to the Lord than when we clean under the rug, as it were. When we obey even when no one is looking. When we give our tithe faithfully week after week, even though our actions are unseen. When we track down a coworker and apologize for an abrasive comment we made earlier in the day, even though no one else was around to hear it. When we work a full day, a full day, avoiding extra long lunches or, or doing our Christmas shopping on our work computer, even though we're alone in our office. And when we honor the Lord with our thought life, instead of indulging in lustful scenes in our head, we honor the Lord, church, when we sweep or when we clean under the rug, as it were. When we do the right thing, when we maintain our commitments, not simply in order to avoid repercussions, but because we know that the Lord sees. In Exodus chapter 1, we're introduced to two women, two women named Shifra and Pua. Don't hear many kids today named Shifra and Pua, but I think these ladies are significant nonetheless. Shifra and Pua were the Hebrew midwives who, because of their fear of the Lord, refused to kill the Hebrew male babies in, in accordance with the order of Pharaoh, who had told them to only keep the Hebrew girls alive. 
And, and here's what I love about Shifra and Pua's story. Here, here's why I bring this up. Because despite the fact that they would have been considered nobodies in ancient Egypt, for they were, they were slaves, they were expendable, they were unimportant, we are told in Scripture their first names. Their, their first names are recorded in the Scriptures. And the mighty Pharaoh, who was worshipped and deified and given ultimate power in the lands, his name is never disclosed in Scripture. Scholars today still don't know which Egyptian pharaoh is being referred to in Exodus chapter 1. And I believe that Shifra and Pua's names were recorded in Scripture to be remembered for as long as God's word is read as a reminder to us that God sees and records every act of obedience, whether it's acknowledged by others or not, whether it's celebrated by others or not. Some of you here today are, are faithfully adhering to God's call to remain sexually pure outside of marriage, even though it's difficult, even though it's challenging. And you need to know, friends, that the Lord sees it. He sees it. There are some in here who are faithfully caring for an aging parent or an extended family member, bringing them meals, doing their laundry, inviting them to live with you, and the Lord sees it. There, there are some in who, here who I know have missed out on opportunities for advancement within your company because you've been unwilling to play the politics game or because you've been unwilling to sacrifice your family on the altar of your career and the Lord sees it. And some of you work day in and day out with children from rough backgrounds who have awful family lives and who have awful backstories and whose stories you find hard to shake off at the end of your workday. And the Lord sees it. Like Shifra and Pua, the Lord sees your costly acts of obedience, friend, even if it's unseen by the rest of the world. And so keep going, keep persevering, for all will be worth it, friend, when you are repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, as Jesus says in Luke 14, 14. Continuing on, church, it's helpful to note that Joseph obeyed despite his age despite his age. In the ancient Near East, young women were often married around 12 or 13 years of age. And, and their husbands were, were typically just a bit older. Typically, they were around 18 to 20 years old. And, and so Joseph wouldn't have had a, a receding hairline and a growing paunch to his belly. He wouldn't have had the features of a middle-aged man. No, he was a gangly teenager who could still finish off multiple plates of food without gaining a pound. He was 18 or 20 years old at most. And yet this young man, this teenager, was willing to obey the Lord, to live sacrificially, to surrender his will at this early stage of his life. Listen, I don't know if there is any area within our church where I've been more encouraged over the past several months than in our middle and high school ministry. I, I had heard stories dating back to, gosh, the beginning of September from Pastor Chase and, and Pastor Heather uh, of the ways in which this spirit was moving among our middle and high schoolers. And I, I was told that the students had seen physical healings and, 
And that these students had had significant encounters with the Holy Spirit. And that, that some of these students were getting saved and inviting friends who were getting saved. And so when I visited our, our student ministry that meets on Sunday nights a few weeks ago, I, I had pretty high expectations to begin with. But frankly, church, I'm just being honest, I was not prepared for what I experienced on a Sunday night. All of the typical frenzy and the organized chaos that you would expect among middle schoolers and high schoolers was, was present, to be sure. But when these students began to pray for one another, I, I was just blown away. For upwards of, of 45 minutes or an hour, I saw students praying for one another, weeping as they received prayer, and weeping as they prayed. And what was happening, it wasn't forced, it wasn't contrived, it wasn't the result of manipulation. No, the Spirit was simply present. The Spirit was everywhere throughout the room. I, I'd seen the Spirit move in such a way in, uh, among leaders before, among adults before. I had never seen the Spirit move in such power among students in my life. And, and so, church, be praying for our students right now. The Lord is moving among our middle school and high schoolers. Be praying. Continue to pray. And if you are here and you are a student, if you're in middle school, if you're in high school, you need to know that you do not have to wait until you're older to be passionate about Jesus. You don't have to, to delay living in purity before the Lord. You don't have to postpone living radically for your God. Let Joseph and Mary, who are just teens themselves, be a reminder to you that you can live with passion for Jesus right now. You can live a laid-down life for Jesus right now. You can experience his love and his presence and his empowerment right now. Hmm. Lastly, church, today's text underlines the faith of Joseph. Joseph. Let's read verses 20 and 21 again. But after he, that is Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And then heading down to the last sentence in today's passage, we're told in verse 25, and he gave him the name Jesus. In Jesus' day, much like today, the privilege of honoring a child, or, or of naming a child, rather, fell to the parents. Just like today, others might have suggestions, they might have critiques, but ultimately it was the parents who who got to name the child. And so why was Joseph willing to name his son Jesus? Why was he willing to comply? Well, because by faith, Joseph believed the message conveyed by the angel. By faith, Joseph had come to believe that this baby Mary was carrying would save his people from their sins. When Joseph named his baby Jesus, a name which means the Lord saves... He was affirming that despite the multitude of questions that lingered in his mind, and despite his confusion about what role he himself would play, he was affirming that he believed that this baby was the savior of the world. And here is what we need to understand, church. 
Here's what we need to understand. Joseph, the adopted father of Jesus, was not ultimately saved from his sins because he changed Jesus' diapers as a baby. He was not saved because he bandaged Jesus' knee when he fell down. He was not saved because he provided food for Jesus or a home for Jesus or protection for Jesus as a loving dad. Joseph was not saved from his sins because he taught Jesus how to ride a bike or because he made Jesus laugh as a little child or because he carried the little Jesus to bed after he fell asleep in his arms. Joseph was saved, he was forgiven of his sins, adopted as the son of God, welcomed into the presence of God upon his death solely because he believed that Jesus was the savior of this world. Solely because he believed in his own limited understanding at the time that this adopted son of his would remove the guilt of the world. And if Joseph, who cared for Jesus from infancy, who loved Jesus as his own son, was not ultimately justified because of the sacrifices he made for Jesus. It is fair to say, friends, that our sacrifices for Jesus will not save us either. No, like Joseph, like Joseph, our greatest acts of sacrifice or devotion to Jesus will not grant us pardon. Our prayer life, our generosity to the poor, our moral integrity will not secure our redemption. Our salvation is obtained not through the sweat of our brow, but through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. And when we come to Jesus and we affirm that, that, we believe, that we believe that he died on the cross for our sins, that he died on the cross, that even we, even, even I, might be forgiven, might be saved, then we can know, friend, that our, our sins have been pardoned. We, we can know that we have been declared righteous in Christ. And so let us, church, be encouraged by the character of Joseph. And let us seek by God's grace to imitate his obedience to the Lord. But let us remember this Christmas, church, that we have been saved from the wrath of God, rescued from his punishment, protected from his judgment, not because of the consistency of our devotion or the impressiveness of our integrity, but solely because a Savior has been born into this world, the Messiah who himself has saved his people from their sins. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand, church?